Hey, this is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Stephen. Be sure to visit Hollywood and Beyond on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for guest and show news, including exclusive photos, promos, trailers, as well as additional guest and show news. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the pages so that we can keep in touch with each other. Hollywood and Beyond, your home for meaningful interviews. Hi, friends and listeners. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond podcast with Stephen Brittingham. That would uh, happen to be me, your host. Thank you for listening. Aging. For many, this is a topic best swept under the rug to be avoided. After all, society often has labels for getting older, associating the aging process with roadblocks and stipulations. If you are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, or perhaps in your 40s, like myself, well, you may feel that it is too late to reach new goals, change your lifestyle, or to pursue that dream you might have thought is now unattainable. After all, it may be covered with cobwebs. Well, my extra special guest today has exposed many of the typical aging stereotypes as just that, a myth. In her new inspirational and uplifting documentary film, The Human Race, she displays it's not too late to overcome obstacles or pursue a dream. As people age, they tend to think that they can't do things anymore. And that's wrong. I'm uh, 55 years old. 56 years old. 57 in August. 69. 70. 79 and four months old. 80 years old. I'm 84. People talk to me now the same way they talked to me 50 years ago. You shouldn't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Be careful. I'm saying, why do I do that? The more you do, the more you can do. It just takes getting out there and taking those first few steps. It really is an amazing experience and anyone can do it. I feel like a kid very often. And that's a great thing to be able to say when you're 64 years old. I've earned all those years to get to where I am to do what I do. So when someone says, you know, you're too old, who are they to say? You're never too old to start. It's there. The people have it. All you have to do is remind them from time to time. Every day, every step I take, every inch, mile, is like a new birth. I'm still here. This remarkable documentary is directed by a truly talented lady. As an actress, you have seen her in Pine Valley on All My Children and eventually in the crime labs on CSI Crime Scene Investigation. I've seen green blood before, but it was only from bodies in advanced stages of decom. What do you think turned it green? I suspect it might be sulfur. Mm. Sulfur is a naturally occurring component of blood. Yes, but in massive doses, it tends to turn the blood a blackish avocado green. When the sulfur atom joins the hemoglobin molecules, red blood turns green. 
Which is why First Officer Spock's blood is green in Star Trek. No, it's not. Uh, yes, it is. Trust me, I'm an expert. Well, apparently not, because otherwise you would surely know that the oxidizing agent in Vulcan blood is copper, and that is why his blood is green. I mean, it was that and the fact that he had a Vulcan father since his mother was actually human. And furthermore, he was promoted to captain just prior to Star Trek II, and then he retired a civilian ambassador. You're like a geeky, nerdy guy trapped in a woman's body. So are you. Her talents, though, are not only in front of the camera, but are also behind the camera as a writer and director. It is an absolute honor to welcome her to the show. Liz Vassie, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much. I want you to follow me everywhere. <laughs> and <laughs> and give me that introduction that. everywhere I go. <laughs> you are most welcome. It's all so well-deserved. I, I viewed your outstanding documentary today, and uh, wow, I am so impressed. I am touched. I am inspired. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I made this documentary, um, The Human Race, over the course of two years, pretty much. Uh, a little bit longer than that, but two years for production and for post-production. And, um, you know, I, I, it means the world to me. I'm a runner myself. I'm, uh, I absolutely love running. I run every day of my life. And I started to wonder if there was an age at which I'd have to do something a little calmer, like mall walking or something. And <laughs> then I started to find all these runners who started running uh, at the age of 50 or 60 or 70, or runners who had run their whole lives who were still running in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, I went out on a, a trip around America and found them. And um, and I agree, it's incredibly inspiring. I had very little to do with that part. <laughs> they just are incredible athletes. Well, it did take, as you said, it took a couple of years to, to put it all together, and that's very understandable. That sounds like an a lot of work and an effort on your part and by others, of course. However, if we go back a bit, uh, Liz, there's a little bit more to this, isn't there? Uh, it, while watching your documentary, you also do some narration and you also appear uh, on the documentary as well. So I wanted to let folks out there uh, be aware of this. And you mentioned your reasons for running and what it means to you personally and its um uh, and its benefits would you mind sharing what those reasons are why you decided to start running yourself well i I'd, I'd been an athlete since i was a kid i i've always been a pretty athletic person um and uh i i ran track as a kid and i you know i've always liked lifting weights i'm one of those i'm I, i'm a crazy person i've just always enjoyed it and i've always found it calming but um in particular in 2012 my mom passed away and it was obviously a remarkably painful time and i found that running was something that i could lean on and I could get out of bed and go for a run in the morning, and it it didn't make everything perfect. It didn't make everything great, but it made it okay. It made it better than it would have been without it. And I uh, became addicted more to the mental aspect of it than the physical aspect because I found it very calming uh, just to go take some time out by myself and um, and have a little bit of the day to myself just to think things over and. 
so that was another reason I wanted to make it was to talk to people not only about the physical benefits, but uh, mentally and emotionally what people get from running or any sport for that matter. But it's, it's running for me just because that's my passion. Thank you for sharing that. I was very touched when um, I learned of, of, of all of that you just mentioned. Um, I can tell you that for, my, for me, Liz, walking is something that I enjoy tremendously. On a beautiful day in particular, it's just so wonderful to take a walk around the neighborhood. Um, I, I find myself extending my walks further and further, which is very interesting. And I come back feeling refreshed in my mind and my thoughts seem clear so when i was watching your outstanding documentary i was relating to the runners even though uh, i guess you could call me a walker um i i am now very intrigued by running <laughs> and i'm probably going to start running more uh, thanks to viewing your documentary film well, that means the world. I love hearing that. I love hearing that anybody is starting to do anything physical from watching this. And, and those are the emails that I'm getting, and those are the calls that I'm getting, and, and people even close to me personally. I mean, my, my husband was my director of photography, and he started working on this with me and met some of these runners and thought, oh, i got to keep up with them. So he started running, and he lost 30 pounds, and um, we actually ran the New York City Marathon together last year in November, and he is, uh, he's physically transformed himself, and it's, uh, and it's great. And, you know, and again, this, this is not about aesthetics. It's about, uh, it's about health, uh, mentally and physically. He feels better. He feels more energetic. And the, the fact that we trained for a marathon and ran that marathon was a great bonding experience, but it also just, um, you know, it was actually a highly emotional experience to go and finish that together. And it was a great bookend for, for finishing shooting the documentary. And, you know, Liz, some folks may go, oh, the human race, so it's about um, marathons and running, and may, you know, if, if they're not familiar with your project, let's just say, they may go, okay, well, running's not my thing, it's going to be all detailed about, you know, what it means to prepare for a marathon. Well, they would be missing out on the whole point of the film, because let me just say this. Wow, uh, sure, uh, using your legs and endurance and, and inner strength and all that is a part of the, the story, of course. It, it's more about the heart soaring. Uh, it's more about, yes, I can do things um, that society says I can't. I don't have to sit in my rocking chair. I can actually be active and vital and feel better about myself. And, and I just think that's the, the beautiful thing about your documentary. Thank you. Thanks. It, it really was a big part of me wanted to show people that if you can see it, you can be it. Because I don't think a lot of people realize that there are people probably two or three decades older than they are who are out doing these things. And I think that's really important. And um, like you said, it isn't all marathon running either. There was a, a new runner. Uh, he was in his mid-50s, and he started running with his son who has autism. And he was running so his son wouldn't get lost in the hills above his house. And he fell in love with running. So they did their first 5K together. And uh, I have an 80-year-old who did a half marathon to celebrate her birthday. And I have a group of women in Florida all over the age of 60. 
and they run for the social benefits. Um, they love to get up and and if they get up at about four thirty or five in the morning and they go running five or six times a week. But they they're like teenagers. Their energy is like teenagers together, and it really has kept these people feeling young and like you said, vital and. Um, you know, the other thing is uh, one of the runners that I profile is Catherine Switzer, who was, she's been a, a, an idol of mine, um, both as a feminist and as an athlete, because she was the first woman to run a marathon as a bibbed entry in 1967 in Boston. And there's a famous picture of her being pushed out of the race. And she pushed her way back in, and she ran the whole thing. And she has run Marathon since. And in the documentary, she was running the New York City Marathon, uh, not this past one, but the one before that, at the age of 70. And her time was only minutes off of what she'd run in her 20s. And uh, that was a pretty staggering thing to see, too. And she is just the poster child for exercise keeping you young she is Mm -hmm. just she glows and uh she is uh she's just an amazing amazing human being Uh, all of them are um i I really was happy to get all their stories out there i I love all these people Uh, and for example the ones that you are referring to as well the gentleman that you described and the lady I, i love all these people there's various stories going on and one of the things that that I really admire and res- respect, Liz, was the, the, the choice you made to go, hey, I'm not going to sugarcoat everything. Some of these people already had some health conditions. Some of these people, you know, have injuries, even, you know, even though they're trying uh, to, to be uh, extra active, so to speak. So you, you are saying, hey, it's not always going to be easy, but the benefit is still there if you give it everything you have. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is that it, if you look at it on a chart, if you look at the benefits of doing anything versus doing nothing, and I've said this to a lot of people who aren't inclined to run or bike or do anything that, that is highly, highly aerobic, if you do anything, if you go out for a stroll, if you do yoga, if you just take the stairs instead of the elevator, the benefits are huge. And if you looked at it on a great big graph, the benefits of doing anything versus doing nothing, it's a huge gap there. It's, 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 it's amazing what it can do for your life. And it's, it's really, as far as your health is concerned, it's not that much different than going out and running a 5K every morning. I mean, anything is better than nothing, and anything will give you benefits. And having balance is very important, too, because there's some people that um, they don't put forth the effort or they're just not interested in, like you said, taking the stairs occasionally instead of the elevator. So you know what? If Mm -hmm. you took the elevator 10 times a week and nine times you went up the stairs, okay, that's called balance. And that's better than than taking the elevator every time. So uh, very well said. I appreciate that. Now, goodness, putting together a project like this had to be very challenging. What is some of the challenges you faced early on in getting your project uh, moving forward? Um, Well, you know, honestly, it was... (laughs) It was, and I, I'm not kidding, it was highly beneficial for me to be a first-time director because I had done a lot of scripted television since I was a kid, and I knew, 
I knew how to direct to a certain degree because I'd, I'd grown up around directors. I know cameras. I know shots. I know I know all I know all of that enough to to feel like I was okay going out on a limb and doing this. Uh, what I didn't know, I'd never been um, I'd never worked in a production office before, and I'd certainly never been a one woman production office. And the the most challenging part for me was first of all getting the funding. Uh, getting uh, Humana is sponsoring it, so getting a sponsorship, uh, finding the runners, which actually wasn't that difficult, that part, because they want to be seen. So after a while, they started sort of finding me. But putting everything together, scheduling everything, uh, getting the shooting permits, and calling all the places and getting insurance, uh, you know, so I had production insurance, getting the plane flights. Once I got distribution, they sent me a list of deliverables, which was everything that I had to literally deliver to them, including copyright reports. I mean, it was longer than my arm, and I had no idea. That was the steepest learning curve, um, and the benefit of that is now I, you know, now I'm, I'm writing more than I'm acting, and after doing this, I think, yes, I can produce my own television show, because if I can do this, then I can do almost anything. So it, it oh, was wow. uh, it, it was great. It gave me some production swagger. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I, I bet it did. Um, with with all that that you just described, um, wow that that is just amazing. And I admire someone that can that can put forth that kind of effort. Um, I'm sure it was also very exciting and enjoyable, um, despite any obstacles you may have faced as a, as a filmmaker. And, and you're right, Liz. <laughs> if anybody has experienced directing on scripted television, it would be you, because you are uh, just a terrific actress with with very appealing screen presence. And um, you, no doubt you have encountered all kinds of directors. So I'm sure that was a benefit to you, to, to take what you've experienced as an actress and then put it you know, to work on your project. That had to be kind of interesting. It, it was uh, it was great, and I got to ask friends for advice, and I also, I, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know, um, ah. and I got a wonderful team together. Uh, my husband, David Emmerich, is, uh, is a DP, a director of photography, and a cameraman, and you don't get much better. Um, I, if you can get better, he just won a Lifetime Achievement Award for camera operating, and oh, wow. um, he's... he's He's an exceptionally talented human being, so uh, I knew it would look good. And mm-hmm. then I got uh, a wonderful editor, Leah Brewer, and um, she just cut it absolutely beautifully. Uh, I had a wonderful colorist. I had a wonderful sound team. Um, it it uh, it definitely is a team effort, and it was the, the nicest part to me was that everybody believed in the message and. You know, this is a very tiny movie. It was a tiny budget, and uh, a lot of my own money was spent, and everybody respected that, and they wanted to get the message out there because they felt it was important. Well, I agree with that, and I want to personally recommend this project uh, to all the listeners out there. So if you happen to be listening and, and you enjoy documentary films, or perhaps you are a fan of Liz... I strongly recommend that you view it as soon as possible. I viewed it on Amazon Prime. Um, is it available, uh, you know, via other avenues as well to watch that you are aware of? It's, av- it's available on 26 different platforms, and okay. I have a list of everywhere it's available uh, on the Human Race Facebook page. Uh, Human Race is also on Twitter. Um, there's the humanrace.net website, but uh, Amazon is a great place to find it. It's on iTunes. It's on Apple TV. You can buy the Blu-ray all over the place. Um, 
So basically, though, I, I am infinitely findable <laughs> on all social media. Yes, you are. And, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you wanted to list all 26 avenues, that would have been okay. But I think that was a very good answer. And um, uh, I can tell you this. So, um, I have social media pages for Hollywood and Beyond. And I'll be sure to provide information as well and, and help get the word out. Because um, it's uh, something that I think is just outstanding. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you are most welcome. Now, I, I think I can almost answer this question myself, but I will ask you. The response you're getting from people that have seen your film, um, and I don't know as far as critics go and things like that, but um, what kind of uh, buzz are you re- receiving on your project? Well, we had uh, the first time that I saw it with a group of people was this wonderful screening about six months ago at my agent's office. Um, they have a beautiful screening room, and we had about 200 people show up. And I, you know, it's an incredibly uh, isolating thing to make a movie for a while when you're sitting with your editor and you're thinking, I hope this works. And, <laughs> you, you know, you, it, it's hard to keep uh, sort of a level head about it because you know the people backwards and forwards, and you want to make sure you're telling their story in the most concise way possible, but also getting all the information that people need. So we watched it with an audience uh, of 200 people, and I remember that Catherine Switzer got a laugh on one of the things she said, and it was about four minutes into the movie, and I thought, okay, I can breathe. (laughs) And then we showed the movie, and then I started getting emails from people at the screening, both people that I knew and people that I didn't, talking about how they were going to start exercising. And I thought, well, they're saying that, you know, the day after the screening. But they've been keeping track, and they've been sending me emails every month saying, I went out and biked this far. I have started running. Now I'm doing this. And um, I've been getting emails from people who have uh, who've gotten the movie and seen the movie. Um, and the one that meant the most, uh, and that's saying something because they've all meant a lot, but there was a man who was starting cancer treatment, and he wrote me after a screening of the movie in Florida and said that because of uh, some of my runners uh, had actually beaten cancer, and in one case had beaten it several times, and they were still running. So this man wrote me and said, I start treatment tomorrow, and this movie gives me no choice but to beat it. And I get chills thinking about it because that's every reason I wanted to make it in the first place. So, um, and then, and luckily, I'm, I'm happy to say the report, the, the uh, reviews on, on Amazon have been really great. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that people like it. And I, I'm happy for me and I'm happy for my team. And the part that I'm not surprised by is that they're responding to the people in the movie because, like I said, they are just wonderful people. They sure are. And there's a wide range and variety of individuals. So that, that makes it uh, extra interesting, of course. I mean, not everybody is all the same, and, and, and that's, that's important, too. And, and, and really um, uh, uh, intriguing personalities and, and, and just all sorts of things. And I think documentaries are, are needed today more than maybe ever for so many reasons. And, and you know, I enjoy, hey, I enjoy scripted television and, and acting just as much as anybody. But I, I definitely have a soft spot for documentaries as well. And, and well, I really appreciate you sharing everything uh, about the human race. And, and like I said, I recommend it to folks out there and I'll help spread the word. I can tell you this, Liz, I should be running more in addition to my walking. And I say that because when I was younger and played sports, I was just super, super fast. 
And I think the reason why is that I rode around everywhere on my bicycle, a Huffy that was just a regular Huffy, no 10 speed or anything like that. And I rode it everywhere. <laughs> and I really believe that's where I got my leg strength. Mm-hmm. That would help. <laughs> that would yes. help. It, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm actually, uh, I've been biking a lot lately. Ever since the marathon, uh, I took a couple days after the marathon. You know, you can't really get right by me. I suppose you can, but uh, I had been advised not to get back out and run the day after the marathon, but I'll go nuts if I just sit still. So I went for a bike ride, and I hadn't done it for a very long time, and I, I thought, why haven't I done this in a very long time? <laughs> so I've actually probably since since November 4th, which was the marathon, I think I've been biking more than I've been running. Oh, and wow. it's great. Well, um, I, I'm yeah. going to be getting a bike soon uh, this spring um, because I, I realized I missed it. So thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. That kind of in, propels me to, to get, a, get going with that. Yeah, it's an incredibly efficient way to stay in shape. And one of my coaches from the movie, uh, she gave me some tips about cadence. And um, she she gave me a lot of tips from before the marathon, too. <laughs> if you're ever going to run a marathon <laughs> or any race, watch this movie first, because these people give you a lot of great advice about how to make it an easier experience. But, um, but yeah, so she gave me some tips about bike riding, and, and, uh, and it's been great. Well, glad to hear it and hope you keep enjoying that activity. That sounds like um, a, a wonderful time to, and, and, and definitely will help clear the, uh, uh, the matters in the mind, so to speak. At least that's what the walks do for me. Very, very beneficial. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this, Liz, but uh, Steve Jobs used to like to have meetings on walks. At least that's what he preferred, especially as he got older. Instead of sitting behind a desk, because it helped open his mind. And the same thing can be said for running. Like you said, it can really help deal with, um, you know, hurt. It can even help you deal with hurt in your life, like like you experienced. And and moms are special people. So um, I just want to say once again, thank you for sharing everything. And I would really like to ask you now how your interest in acting first started. Um, I became interested in acting at the age of nine, and it started because uh, I had, um, <laughs> when I was two, I, I, uh, I, I had an, an E. coli issue. I was in the hospital for a long oh. time, and um, I, came, I went into the hospital very gregarious, came out of the hospital very withdrawn. Um, it was a traumatic experience, and I was uh, very shy as a child after that um, because, you know, you, you have enough people poking and prodding at you and it mm. tends to make you a little wary. So sure. my my sister did Greece. She was uh, in, in Greece playing Marty uh, with a local community theater and I saw it when I was nine or probably when I was eight and I said to my mom, I think I'd like to try that. And my mom said, Okay, and then she she told my sister, she said, I don't want a driver. I'm so scared she's going to get up on that stage and just freeze. So I uh, I wanted to be in the play Oliver, the musical Oliver. So I went to audition, and I got up and I sang, and uh, I I felt very much at home on that stage in a way that I hadn't felt at home uh, probably in my own skin in, in years as a child. And I ended up getting the part of Oliver, um, so I ended up playing the lead, and um, it was transformative. And then, uh, with all the love in the world, uh, and and uh, I, my mother 
was so wonderful. Uh, she drove me to auditions. She drove me to theaters. She drove me to dinner theaters. I did 50 shows in between the time when I was nine and when I was 16. And wow. she, uh, she had, yeah, I was a musical theater geek. <laughs> wow. She had the, uh, she had the wherewithal to uh, to always let me know that I should quit when it's not fun, um, that I shouldn't take it, uh, I should take the work seriously, but I shouldn't take myself seriously, that if I didn't get a role, it's because I didn't fit the piece of the puzzle. Um, she kept my head on straight, and she, which I think is so incredibly important, and I think it's really important for kids if they want to get into acting. Starting in theater is a completely different beast. Um, because you, you see that it's a team effort and it keeps your ego in check. And, uh, also having a mom like that keeps your ego in check. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I kept up with it and I thought that I would probably be doing musical theater in New York was the plan. And then I got on a soap opera when I was 16 and I got to sing on the soap, which was great. Uh, but I sort of fell into TV, and then I just kept <laughs> falling more into TV. Uh, so no complaints. It was a lovely, it was a lovely journey to get here. And um, yeah, so but I started when I was very very young. And your mom, well, what wonderful advice! She sounded like she was giving you the 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 best perspective and support and encouragement uh, that one could ask for, especially at, at the age that you were at that time. Now, are you, where are you from, though? Oh, I was, uh, well, I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then I moved to Hollywood, Florida, and then gotcha. I moved to Tampa, Florida, and um, then I got on the soap, and my mom and my grandmother, my parents had, had recently divorced, and so uh, my mom and I were going to move to, uh, <laughs> at the time, it was still basically Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, um, to an apartment we'd never seen that my manager had, had gotten for us, or, you know, basically she'd found for us. And my grandmother, uh, who we called Gaga, she moved there with us. So it was three different generations living in a one-bedroom apartment at 52nd and 8th in Manhattan oh after growing up in Florida. Uh, wow. So it was... a. And it was magic. It was. I still. I have the most idealistic view of New York City. I, I think of anybody I've ever met. It's. It's like grown-up Disneyland to me. Um, so it was just a, a magic experience. And the soap was magic, too. I, I met really wonderful people. Kelly Ripa was my dressing roommate, um, and oh, I wow. uh, and still. Oh yeah, she. Had, I mean, yes. there was no question that she was going to be a very big deal. From the moment I met her, I thought, wow, she just. She's just an amazing human, and um, Katie McLean and I are still close. She played Dixie, uh, Paige Turco, and I stayed in touch for quite some time. Michael Knight, I mean, it's pretty astounding. Uh, Michael Brainerd uh, just sent me a really lovely uh, little video after watching the documentary. Um, it's amazing to, to be in touch with people after 30 years, but uh, it's like we all went to the same college, you know, like we all went to Pine Valley U. So <laughs> we, we, uh, we remained in touch. That's wonderful. I, I have tremendous respect for individuals that have worked on daytime television or continue to. Uh, there's so much um, uh, focus and, and effort and, 
and skill that is required to do a good job on a show, uh, such as All My Children or any daytime television soap opera. Uh, and that is because the pace is very different from a primetime television, as you know, Liz. But for those listening that maybe aren't aware, could you give an example of what um, you know it, it is like memorizing so many lines and just how prepared you have to be on a show like All My Children, even back then? Uh, sure. It, it's an interesting thing. I, I didn't know otherwise, so it was, it was sort of fascinating because now I look back and I think, oh, dear Lord, that was a lot of work. But at the time, it made perfect sense. We shot one script a day. Um, you would go in and you would uh, block the scenes, meaning the director would tell you where you'd move and, you know, and, and you'd, you'd do that in a little rehearsal hall. And then you would get makeup and hair done, and then you'd do a dress rehearsal, and you'd get notes from the director, and then you would shoot the whole episode. So basically, at any given time, you could have 20 to 25 to even 30 or 40, depending on how big your part was, um, pages of dialogue to memorize a day. So uh, it, it really it was astounding to me looking back that I didn't find that uh, odd. <laughs> It just was sort of my job, and I enjoyed it. And you don't, it takes a lot for them to give you a second take, by the way. I mean, you really have to mess up for them because they don't have time. So, uh, the the lamp has to fall over or something like that, I guess. Oh, you, you have to make sure that they <laughs> cut. And it actually got pretty comical because, you know, if, if you just sort of stumbled over a word, that's what was going to air unless you basically said, stop, 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 <laughs> uh, which then didn't make them very happy. So understandably. So hmm. it, it, was, uh, it was a lot. And then you get into prime time and you realize, oh, I'm shooting five pages today. In the whole day, I'm shooting five pages. And then my husband works primarily in features, and there are days when he comes home and he's like, well, we shot half a page today. <laughs> so it's, uh, it really is an amazing learning experience. I think um, I wish there were more soaps that were still uh, alive uh, at this point because yes. I think for young actors it's just invaluable. You get used to memorization. My husband laughs now because... I, I had to give a speech to present this award to him um, two weeks ago, and I could memorize it very easily. And he's convinced that being on a soap made my, my brain a little more facile as far as memorization goes. I, I, I don't bet. disagree. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, that, that's a good way to learn how to memorize a lot of lines, uh, is working on a, a soap opera, no doubt. Now, did you ever uh, get to work with David Canary a lot? I didn't work with him a lot. I worked with him a little bit. Um, my biggest memory of him uh, was just that he was so incredibly kind. Uh, my specific memory of him, <laughs> it's very specific, was the daytime Emmys, and I was nominated. Katie McLean was nominated. Uh, P.S. Katie won, which she entirely deserved because her work on that show was, was superb. Um, but uh, David Canary had put an entire dinner on his credit card, and we all were supposed to give him a check to pay for our bits. And I took my mom as my date, and I handed him the check. And uh, I think months and months and months later, he was wearing the same jacket, reached into his pocket, found the check, and said, and I was with him, and he said, oh, I thought you'd forgotten to pay me. 
And I said, and you just didn't say anything? And no, he was just perfectly willing to pay for me and for my mom to go to this Emmy dinner because he didn't think that I'd given them a check, which I had. And it just was indicative of his kindness, obviously, 30 years later, I remember it. Yeah, he just, um, it just was him going, no, I was fine taking you guys out to dinner. I was fine with that. And he he was just a a really, I mean, I think of him and I smile, Mm. and that's sort of uh, something my husband and I do. If if you think of somebody and a smile immediately pops onto your face, they got to be pretty good. Well, that's a lovely story. And just thinking how for a while he thought, hmm, I guess she just didn't, just didn't want to help pay for that. <laughs> I know. I know. I would have felt worse, except I swear I gave him the check. It was very funny. <laughs> and that speaks a lot about his character, like you said. Uh, yeah, it does. I think that is, uh, that is a, a, a really great story. Thanks for sharing that. Now, is there a certain storyline? from your time on All My Children, that, that stands out to you? Is, is there one in particular that, that maybe you're extra proud of as an actress? Um, well, you know, I, I, I started taking a lot of acting classes in New York because why wouldn't I? And uh, I remember specifically working with a coach on some of the later stuff because my character, you know, started to go slightly slash very insane. And, Mm. um, yeah, I'm proud of that work. I look back and I see some of that and I I haven't seen, it's actually kind of funny, but I I hadn't seen anything from the soap in years. And some people that my husband is working with right now, they, they, uh, out of curiosity, brought up all my children clips on YouTube. And he came (laughs) home and he was like, oh my God, it's baby Liz. So he was showing me some of them. And, um, I could see, an unbelievable difference between when I first got on that show and, and when I left. And so I, I was, I was proud of uh, the improvement. Um, but when I think back over the years, the things I remember most are Candy Early who played Donna and Vasily Bagazianos, uh, who, who uh, played my stepdad, Matthew Cowles as well, uh, who played um, Billy Clyde. And uh, the three of them were just, fantastic so um particularly i I got very close to candy uh who just unfortunately passed away a couple days ago um she just welcomed me and welcomed my mom to new york and and made Mm -hmm. the entire experience so easy and was such a mama lion to me on set um yeah I, i i just adored that woman so she she's top of the heap as far as my memories of that show Sounds like a beautiful artistic family, and I really appreciate you sharing your memories and and your uh, remembrance of many of your uh, uh, wonderful co-stars. Thank you so much. Now, I believe a move out west uh, occurred, uh, Bliss, because uh, you did a lot of work on shows that were filmed out west. So I'm assuming that you had an eventual move to Los Angeles. Uh, I did. I did. I, I was off the soap after two years, and I... I really wanted to move to L.A., and uh, and to be perfectly blunt, I had a really big crush on somebody who lived here who I was oh, dating. Oh, wow. So okay. I thought, well, I just think it's time. I'm 18 years old, and I know best, because at 18, you're pretty sure you do. And yes. uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful hubris. <laughs> and then you think, okay, well, I just got off of soap, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've studied. I've done all my work, so I'm, I'm going to get work in Los Angeles. And uh, my mom moved out with me for about six, six to eight months uh, to help get me set up. And, um, 
you know, it was funny because I did have the hubris of youth. My mom did not. And so my mom, later we talked about it a lot. Uh, one of my first months in town, I remember it so clearly. I got an episode of Quantum Leap, and I got a Tide commercial uh, on the same day. I found oh, out wow. that day I got good news that I had two jobs. Um, and I, I got the, the wonderful phone call, two, two wonderful phone calls in one day. And I remember my mom just tearing up, and, and that was the moment where she thought, I think she's going to be okay. And um, because, you know, I moved out the first time to L.A. in, in 1991, and I, I don't, uh, I wasn't seeing an awful lot of people in primetime that looked like me. Um, I was seeing a lot of blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, women, just, you know, I, I didn't, I mean, now I'm hopefully we're even getting much more diverse than just somebody with brown hair, brown eyes, and, and uh, questionable genetic backgrounds, <laughs> but I don't, I don't uh, but I, I just, I, I remember I had a manager in New York who was cautioning me, saying, if you move to L.A., I don't know that you'll work. We don't see a lot of you on, on TV, and so it was, um, it was pretty amazing to, to have one day and just get two jobs and, and uh, have that relief. That is wonderful. Did you, was that your first time in Los Angeles? Um, yeah, I'd come out just for a visit. I, well, this is kind of funny, too. My, my grandmother had said, because I was mildly obsessed with wanting to make the move, and so my grandmother said, um, well, you should write City Hall and get some get a, an information packet. This is before the <laughs> Internet, kids. So right. um, City Hall sent me a, a, an information packet, and I was circling oh. places where I thought we should live, and I'm asking people oh. in New York if I could get by with public transportation in Los Angeles. And I remember somebody on the soap who shall remain nameless said, oh, yeah, you could ride a bus everywhere. Well, I mean, sure, if you have six and a half hours. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> And um, yes. luckily, I didn't believe that person. So uh, it was my first experience driving. And, and if you want to have a hundred stops along the way, um, you know. yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, now now we do we do have uh, a sort of a, a, a kind of great subway system. It's a little limited in where it'll take you, but it is great. But still, I mean, you know, and now we have Uber too. But at the time, yes. it just. Yeah, you got to have a car. Um, yes. So, you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, so basically, I came out for three or four days with my mom before we moved from New York just to make sure that the apartment was set and get cars, get our driver's license. Because um, I had only had my restricted when I lived in Tampa. So I had to actually get mm. a driver's license. Well, so, you know, Liz, yeah. when I first moved to LA, um, I voided the freeways a lot. I mean, you know, a good portion of that is common sense because they can get very jam-packed, as you know. But I enjoy taking the long, long roads in L.A. because I originally moved to Glendale. So if I had to go to Hollywood, I did not get on the highway. I just drove through Burbank and then turned right there, and there I was in Hollywood. I just kind of preferred that method. But sometimes you have to hit, on, hit the freeway no matter what. So I'm sure that was a learning curve for you as well. Well, yeah, because we also didn't have GPS, so we had these Thomas guides yes. with uh, you yes. know pages and pages and pages of maps, yes. and so uh, <laughs> it was it was a lot to get used to at once. But uh, those were I, pretty I, thick I too, weren't they? I mean, oh, oh my goodness, God. they're hysterical. <laughs> and then you'd look, you'd be on page thirteen, and it would say, "If you're going north, turn to page three hundred ninety-seven." And you're driving and flipping pages, and um, yeah, it it was uh, it was a learning curve, and it but. It was a fun one. It was a, a fun experience just getting to come here. It was so different from Manhattan, too. I mean, I, like I said, I love New York with all my heart, 
but I, I also have a lot of love for, for Los Angeles. Um, it gets a bad rap sometimes, but I, I think it's, I think it gets a bad rap just to give it a bad rap. I actually really enjoy mm-hmm. living here. Well, I, I enjoyed it as well you know, for so many reasons. And, and Liz, you, you, you appeared on uh, so many um, incredible shows. One I wanted to ask you about is Wings, because that's a show I really, really enjoy. Um, any particular memory of appearing on Wings? Um, I really had a wonderful time. Let's see, what do I remember? Steve, Stephen Weber was, uh, fantastically welcoming and a very, very funny man. And, uh, probably a decade and a half later, I bumped into him at a charity event. I walked up and I said, hi, I'm Liz. And he goes, hi, remember? Now I have a theory that he didn't and that that's his answer to everything. <laughs> but if it is, I think that's it's great. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's terrific. Of course, I have I to remember, remember that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty smart. Uh, Tim Daly was uh, also very nice. Um, you know, I, I was, I think, 20, 21 years old, and I, I had to make out with Tim Daly. It was not a horrible experience, so I enjoyed myself. And, there you um, go. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it was fun. And I also, um, I, I like doing sitcoms. I think they're fun, being able to do a yes. little play and have the audience there and uh, so that was that was a big one at the time, and um, yeah, that was uh, it was just a very fun experience to do it. Now, leading up to CSI, uh, the audition process for your character, I'm very curious about. I would like to uh, throw in, as you know, Liz. Uh, I remember, uh, it, it, hopefully correctly, that there seemed to be a lot of lab techs coming and going. I mean, there was a maybe a. a, a, a a character or two that was kind of sticking around, but I kind of noticed a stretch where it just seemed like you would see someone for a few episodes. And some of these people, by the way, have gone on to do some rather incredible things. So I would like to mention that. But then all of a sudden, when you arrive, well, first of all, it's like, wow, okay, uh, a very appealing screen presence. I liked your character. Interesting. And I remember going, I want to see more of you. That was like, I want to see more of you. And that did happen eventually. But I'm just wondering, did you kind of feel that this might just be a temporary um, job at first, and, and, and also the, the audition process for CSI? Um, you know, this is not the norm at all. I, I basically, I had done a lot of shows that I'm incredibly proud of that went for about six episodes, because, and that, that's what happens sometimes. They'll pick it up for 13 episodes contractually. They can cut it off after six, so that's not just a coincidence. It's just contractually speaking they, they you know these are shows that made it to the first hump and then got pulled off the air and there're shows that i continue to be incredibly proud of like the tick and maximum bob and push nevada and um shows that i really believe if they were on now and if they were streaming they'd go forever um they were ahead of their time and uh very edgy and very cool and i'm i'm so proud of them um and then i I'm trying to think what the last thing. I started to get really frustrated because they weren't sticking. And I was working a lot, um, and I was really happy, and I felt very fortunate. Uh, and then I had a pilot season where I, when you audition normally for a pilot, you go in and read for the producers, and if they call you back, you go back and you read, maybe with some other people that might be in the cast, maybe not. And then they tell you if they're going to test you. And if they test you, it means that you go with maybe two other, three other choices, and you do the scene in front of everybody at the studio. 
And if the studio says yes, and they will call it down from maybe four people to three people or two people, then you sign your contract uh, for the next seven years of your life in case you get the role after you go in and do it in front of the network and the studio. So it's an incredibly long process. Uh, it's incredibly nerve-wracking because you know that what you do in that room could be the next seven years of your life or you walk away with nothing. So it's very stressful. And there was, I mean, not digging ditches stressful, not, I, I mean, I do have all that. I, <laughs> I understand. But in <laughs> right. the world of entertainment, it's stressful and it's, it's a lot to ask of your, of your ego and of your nerves. And so... Um, I went through one pilot season where I did that 13 times and finally got a pilot that uh, was not great. Uh, and I remember my agent said, it's not good enough for you to do. And I was like, oh, no, I'm doing it. So I did it, <laughs> and then it, it didn't get on the air. And I just mm. thought, you know what, I just got to gotta step back for a second. I just got to, this is getting way too frustrating. And um, CSI had been sort of sniffing around. Uh, I knew the casting director there from other projects, um, Carol Kritzer, who is fantastic. And they'd wanted me for, uh, oddly enough, they'd wanted me to come in and read for the Quentin Tarantino episode, and I couldn't. I was working on something else, and I'm so happy I couldn't, because if I'd gotten that, then that would have been it. Um, so they kept saying, we have this new character, we have this new character, and I kept saying to my manager, honestly, if it doesn't sound just like me, I don't want to go. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm literally testing for roles and then leaving and finding out that they've changed the character to a 50, 50 year old African American male. Like, I can't, like, oh. I just can't keep doing this. And so, Basically, they, uh, they let me put myself on tape at home, and uh, having a husband as a camera operator helped. So uh, we put me on tape, and I did the scenes, and we sent them in, and I thought, all right, well, we'll be done with this. And then they called, and they said, can you come meet Carol Mendelson? We'll try and make this easy on you. Just come in and meet her. This is for like two episodes, but it could be more, and it would be really great. So I had wrecked my car. I remember I drove there in a rental car, and I was going, yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, I went and met Carol, really liked Carol. By the time I got back to my car, I was already told I had the role, which never happens. Um, and I thought, okay, so I'll go do two episodes of CSI. Maybe it'll be a little more. Uh, that'd be nice. And um, my first day was with Marg, Marg Helgenberger. Uh, if you ever join a long-running long show, I hope everybody is <laughs> lucky to work with somebody like her on their first day because she's magnanimous and wonderful. And um, I know I'm saying a lot of people are nice. I've really lucked out. Uh, I'm not just saying it. They really have been. But, uh, yeah, then they, they said I did my two episodes, and they said, do you want to come back for more? Do you want to come back for more? And um, then I got a test to possibly go do another pilot. And uh, so they bumped me up to series regular so that they didn't lose me. And, uh, yeah, so it was five years. So two episodes turned into five years. <laughs> what great. an incredible <laughs> journey. And like I mm -hmm. said, you would be shown eventually more and more. And your scenes were more than just, like, get, providing information. There they, they was more to it. I mean, you were interacting with characters and, and all sorts of things. Well, thank you for sharing that about uh, Marge, because I have a lot of admiration towards her. Um, wow. Just a, what, a, what a performance on the show. And I'm not surprised to hear that she's such a, a lovely lady. I, I would like to ask you about working with William Peterson. And I'd like to share with you, Liz, that the film To Live and Die in L.A., I, I'm not sure if you have seen it. but yeah, such I love a, it. 
Oh, wonderful. Then you will know exactly. I don't even have to explain too much. You know what I'm trying to say. It's a unique, rare film. No in-studio shooting, all on location. It feels like destiny is colliding with these two major characters, William Peterson and William Defoe. And of course, without me giving anything away whatsoever, a very shocking and quite rare ending to... Uh, a, a feature film, in my opinion. So when I uh, uh, watch William Peterson on CSI, it's very interesting how sometimes an actor plays a character, Liz, and don't get me wrong, he was totally different than Chance from To Live and Die in L.A., but it stays with you. <laughs> I, I just I, I look at him and I, and I always think about Chance, but I think that's a compliment because uh, he just did such an outstanding job in that film. And what was it like working with him on CSI? Uh, I I think he is an incredibly uh, kind. I, I'm smiling now thinking about it. He's funny. Mm-hmm. He's uh, I, I, his wife is fantastic. Um, just the thing that that pops out immediately is that that man can do more by raising one eyebrow than most actors can do <laughs> with a whole scene. And uh, he had this trick occasionally because he knew. He's very smart, and he knew that I'm very savvy, and he knew that cut to him for a reaction shot, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of where the, the money is. And so he would get some young actors occasionally on the show, and he'd be like, I don't, I don't need to say this line. You want to say this line? You can have this line. You, want to, you, you could say this information, which was sort of a two-pronged wonderful process because <laughs> he got away with not having to learn as many lines, and he would always get to do these wonderful reaction shots, but he knew that that's that. You know that, that I mean it was brilliant. He, he was a really smart man. A really uh, is a really wonderful actor. I've seen him. I've seen him on stage several times since the show's been over, and um, he's uh, he's just he's great. I consider him a friend. He he uh, <clears throat> signed a bunch of things when I was raising funds for uh, for the film for the documentary. He signed CSI stuff and gave me more CSI stuff to put up on Indiegogo to try and make money. And um, yeah, he's he's a, a really good, funny, uh, very unique and uh, interesting man. I learned a lot from him. I appreciate you sharing that, and I'm smiling over here, Liz. Just so you know, just listening to what you had to say about William, I have a lot of admiration and respect towards him, and and now you know one of the reasons why. I think that's so cool that 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 you really dig that film as well. The very unique film. Um, certainly one of my favorites. Well, there's one more gentleman I have to ask you about, and uh, I don't know if this is going to impress you or not, Liz, but when, when you first arrived, right, uh, your character mm-hmm. on CSI, and your two characters started crossing paths, I told myself, I know he's going to have a crush for her one day. <laughs> and you no doubt know who I'm talking about. And yes, he did have a, a, a you know, his character would eventually um, have a crush on, on you and lots of uh, interesting moments. So what is it like working with the gentleman uh, that we are uh, discussing, uh, Wallace Langham? And what was that experience like for you? Uh, I just, I, I love him. I absolutely love him. I love him as a human being. I love him as an actor. We'd known each other before that show, and um, I, I think he is just magic. And he is uh, probably more than anybody else on that show. He is so unlike that character that if you meet him in real life, I mean, he, 
He, he teaches meditation, for God's sake. Like, he wow. just, he's nothing like Hodges. Um, he, he, I can't, there are not enough, I, I'll, I'll run out of superlatives trying to talk about him. I, I absolutely adore that man. Um, I felt so lucky to work with him. He is, uh, funny and gracious and absurdly talented and um he, he just uh he i i couldn't have had a better partner for those scenes and to write the episode we got to write the episode together which was uh, a great time um and it was something you know the whole romantic sort of subplot originally i, I don't even know if the producers knew this or they must have seen it but we would throw each other glances every now and then and we and wally and i just kind of thought well why not let's see if they catch it let's see if they do anything with it hey there you um, go and then, then they did and we thought well this will be fun so um yeah and it was uh, remember the whole yeah. space episode the whole uh <laughs> fantasized about your character i i that episode is just so much fun <laughs> I, I, you know, my favorite thing about that is the fact that it was written by two writers from uh, Battlestar Galactica, from the, the new Battlestar. Oh, obviously. wow. Um, yeah, they were incredible writers, are incredible writers. But um, the best part was that nobody made fun of people that go to cons. Um, you know, I, I love right. sci-fi. I love uh, comic right. books. I, I grew up reading comic books and, and superheroes. All of that was uh, totally my my speed. And so I... Uh, I've done a couple cons because of the tick, and the people there are really nice, and it's so fun yes. to see people dressed up and excited about the same thing and about stuff, particularly with Star Trek, that's so positive because Star yes. Trek was so ahead of its time uh, and so inclusive, and it had such a, a beautiful, optimistic view of the future, <laughs> and um, and it was feminist before its time, and it just it, mm -hmm. I I really enjoyed that show, although I'm laughing when I'm thinking about my outfits and saying feminist at the same time, but I can wear whatever I want to wear, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Super uh, fun episode. Yeah. Great it episode. It was very fun. It was well, very, before very we fun. Um, wind down here, I have one final question about CSI, and this is definitely from an acting standpoint. Uh, uh, let me say this. Uh, yes, it's the mysteries that people tune into, right? But also, of course, the characters. But I think that it's also fascinating, at least for me, that when you watch an episode of CSI, Liz, at the end, I I'm often left thinking about the choices that human beings make, you know, regrets, impulse, anger, sometimes premeditated, of course, and just evil. But it's not always about being evil. Sometimes it's really, really poor decisions. But I just wanted to add that in there. But as an actress, all this technical talk, okay, uh, it's like its own language on CSI, right? Um, when you got scripts at first, did you have to kind of look into what some of these terms meant? Or was, I'm just curious, did someone say, hey, this is what this means? Well, we had tech advisors, certainly, but a lot of it was also uh, left up to us. I mean, there was always somebody to ask on set, uh, I'll I put see. it that way. And, um, well, that's uh, good. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny. Uh, Fishburne had a photographic memory, so Fishburne would just look at the script and then the jargon that would flow out of his mouth. I loved that man, hated that he could do that because none of the rest of us could. It was just oh, so wow. annoying um, because he would just look at it and then he would just be like, seven alleles in common and there's something, something, and you're like, oh, my God, how do you do that? Um, it was really an amazing talent. Uh, He's so but, good, isn't um, he? I, yeah, it, was, it worked for him. 
But uh, I was actually fascinated by it anyway. I went on a research trip. Um, they gave, I believe they gave everybody this opportunity, if, if they wanted to, to go to Vegas and go around with the real CSIs and oh, to wow. watch autopsies and to go to crime scenes. And um, I read every book I could on the topic just because it's the way my brain works. I just, I, I want to learn about that. And I became so fascinated by the whole puzzle-solving aspect of it that I could certainly see, like, one thing that sticks with me from going to the Vegas lab was finding out that people who had retired from being investigators would come back and occasionally work part-time just because they wanted to. Um, they they still wanted to be out there solving mysteries. So uh, I was fascinated enough that it wasn't just learning it from an actor's point of view. I was actually legitimately curious what I was saying. And even to this wow. day, I mean, my, David, <laughs> my husband makes fun of me because I'll watch, I'll watch so many crime documentaries. And if I go down and I'm running on the treadmill instead of outside, he's like, are you watching murder again? You're watching murder down there, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm watching Dateline. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it. I'm fascinated by crime. I am fascinated by it, by people stopping it by people figuring out the mystery and by people, you know, by the good guys winning. Yeah, so. that, that's how I feel as a viewer, Liz. I, I just, I loved like, at the end of the episodes of CSI, I'm just like, wow. You know, I put myself in the character's shoes. Like, man, why did that person do that? And it's just very fascinating, the whole concept of CSI. That, that I, And all of you just did a, a, a fantastic job. Well, thank you. Thanks. It was... Uh, it was a pretty incredible place to go to work, and it was also really wonderful. That was the first time that I'd been on the show that uh, for that long. I mean, a five-year mm-hmm. mark, uh, whether I realized it or not, was sort of a goal of mine, um, and uh, I was thrilled that I got to live in that one place. And, and Universal Studios was also, it wasn't exactly a huge drive from my area. It was just, it was nice. It wasn't like a lot of my friends have had to move to different cities to shoot shows. And this was a pretty easy commu- commute. So, uh, well, well, that's awesome. Just, that's an oh, extra yeah, bonus. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, it was a very, it was a very good five years for me. So I'm, I'm very appreciative. Well, I must say Liz, um, sincerely, you know, when, when I think about a, a person making an impact on a project, you know, you not on CSI, there would be something missing. So um, you certainly brought so much to the show. There's just no question well, about you. it. And I must say that I was so thrilled to find out that we have something else in common, and that is the joy of coffee. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you are, of course, a writer, especially Lately, these days, you're really into writing projects, obviously. So I'm sure that coffee helps to keep you uh, going, so to speak. Well, it's uh, it's funny. I started drinking coffee when I was 16 when I got on the soap um, to to get me up for those early mornings. And now I uh, it's I, I I'm vegan, and so I I always say to to anybody who will listen, it's what I got left. I mean, like, <laughs> it's the one I'm thing. I'm a health nut vegan. Yeah, they they can't pry the coffee away from me. I love it. Oh. Um, and, uh, I mean, I try to stick to two cups a day. I don't, I don't overdo it, but I, I do absolutely love it. And I don't get anything done before I have coffee. Like that's well, that makes two favorite. of us. Um, I can yeah. completely relate to that. And I, I don't know how you like yours, but I like mine strong and black. Me too. And fresh. <laughs> yep. You too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. and, and it's actually... You sounded just, uh, my mom would always say she likes hot, fresh coffee. We'd go to a restaurant, and she always wanted hot, <laughs> fresh coffee. It had to be hot and fresh. 
Um, the older yeah, you get, Liz, uh, bad coffee is just something I can't, I can't deal with. I have to be honest. I- I'm not a complainer at all, but like if I have my car and it's getting an oil change, I do not go near the coffee machine. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I hear you. I and can hear you. I can tell you this. My secret recipe is all in the scoops. So I just thought I'd share that with you. And and different brands require different types of scoops. So it's not all the same. So, uh, well, maybe someday we can ha- enjoy a cup of coffee together. And we both yeah, can drink exactly. it black. Do, do you ever get people, Liz, that go, you drink your coffee black? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I just, <laughs> I, I mean, why wreck is a good thing. Yeah. I, I'm, I like it. Uh, I want it to taste like coffee. I don't yes. want it to taste like a caramel frappuccino thing. I don't want, I want coffee. I want it to taste <laughs> like coffee. Like, like that's the whole purpose. Well, that, yeah. that, that's wonderful. So that's wonderful. Well, Liz, <laughs> I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a guest. It's truly been an honor and 110% delight for me. Well, it's a delight for me, too, and um, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and thanks for watching the movie. I appreciate that, too. No problem at all, and I want to also thank the listeners out there, and I strongly recommend seeing Liz's just outstanding documentary, The Human Race. I saw it on Amazon Prime, but as Liz said, it's on a whole bunch of other devices and outlets as well, so keep that in mind. And I might also say that whatever artistic project or goals that you're working on, I want to wish you all the best as well. Well, this is host Stephen Brittingham. I'll see you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Do you happen to have a question or a comment for me? Or perhaps you feel that you might make an interesting guest here on Hollywood and Beyond. Whatever your reason may be, please feel free to contact me anytime directly at the show's official email address. That would be hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. That is hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.